1: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stephon Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So my question for you today, Samantha, is Are you a, a fan of hoodnits? As my friend once accidentally called them the "Who Done It." Who Done It? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it's according to
2: what the storyline is and what the done it is. But uh-huh. typically, yes, I do because I am also the same person who will be wherever. I think we did this a couple of times, and I would whisper it to whomever else is sit next to me to give my theories the entire time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm I'm somebody who likes. I really love trying to figure things out and guess endings. But I'm also someone who will get really caught up and people at the end will ask, like, who did you think it was? And if it was a good movie, book, whatever, I might have never had a theory. I might have Mm -hmm. just been so caught up and just like, wow, well, it could be this person, this person, this person, this person, and, you know, Mm -hmm. never really had, which I do love. And that's one of my favorite things about Scream, as anyone who's watched that with me knows, is I love how throughout the whole movie they kind of goofily are like, see, it could be this person. Look at this very obvious shot and Clue we're hanging on. Wait, so then have you seen Clue? I have seen Clue, but I feel like I've never given it the attention it deserves. I feel like there's certain scenes, as you know, Samantha, I'm really bad at watching movies, actually. Yes. Um, Because I usually am doing something else. So there's certain scenes, like I remember the ending really well. Which ending? well, exactly. I remember that kind of, like, unfolding of the various ways it could have ended, and then the ending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then um, certain other bits and pieces, but I should re-watch it, for sure, because uh, it, it seemed really fun.
2: It's one of my favorite movies still.
1: Yeah. Definitely problematic
2: in some things, but it's still great for me.
1: <laughs> have you ever played one of those um, those murder mystery games where everyone gets the card? You know, and then you're playing a character and as the night goes on, you like figure out uh, who the person who's playing the murderer. You might not know it first, but then you figure out it, that it's you and then everyone's trying to guess who it is. No, I'm still trying to make you play Among Us.
2: <laughs> and I think it's kind of along those lines, except not card form.
1: Well, it's like a little, I mean, you don't have to do it, but it's very accurate. D. Yeah. Like it's usually, you know, sit on a train in England and I don't know. I've played it a couple of times and I feel like halfway in, people sort of give up <laughs> when I've done it. It was fun. It was my kind of thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite episodes of The Office as well. Yes. Yeah, so it's a good episode of The Office. Yeah, when Michael says to Creed, like, Sir, there has been a murder, and you are the suspect. And Creed's like, okay, let me just go get some things at my desk. Can you see him, like, peeling out of the parking lot? It is lawn? really good. Yes. I, I declare. Do declare. I declare. I declare. Which is funny, because we're talking about another whodunit with a Southern accent that is brilliant, in my opinion. It's true. Um, because this is a very special episode of Feminist Movie Friday, because it's Wednesday, Whoops. I think. I think so this is a very special feminist movie Wednesday what yep on Knives Out which has only been out for a year so if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled somehow you've miraculously not been spoiled skip this one go watch it it's on Amazon Prime it's available and I love it it's very very good I adore this movie Um, I even did a movie crush on it, on the podcast Movie Crush, if you want to go check that out. And I remember very vividly the first time I saw it with my mom. And it it did come out around Thanksgiving. Right, which is why Um, we chose this movie. Because we were trying to figure out, is there any really good Thanksgiving Day movies?
2: And we (laughs) had some struggles.
1: Yes, yes, we did. And you know what else I struggled on? Because we also tried to find a good movie about uh, Native American women. (laughs) And that wasn't easy. Right. So if anyone's got any uh, suggestions around that, please, please, please send them our way. But uh, yeah, yeah, this is, well, it's not, it feels very Thanksgiving-y uh, because it is a big family gathering where people fight a lot, which unfortunately is what I think of when I think of Thanksgiving. <laughs> sounds terrible. Um, but yeah, I saw it around Thanksgiving last year with my mom and it's, the difference between seeing this movie in a small, rural, very conservative town versus I saw it in Atlanta two or three times. Wow. <laughs> because it is a very political movie. Um, well, not very political, but there's like an outright discussion of politics and Trumpism in the middle of it. And there are a lot of um, themes around immigration specifically in it. Uh, so but my favorite part of seeing it with my mom is we get all the way to the end and the credits are rolling she turns to me audibly gasps and says that was daniel craig <laughs> who she has a bit of a crush on and i guess she just was so wrapped up in it and the accent went
2: through her i don't know I mean, that is correct. I I will say because I knew who he was immediately upon a glance, like obviously (laughs) this is Daniel Craig, I started kind of like squirming a little bit knowing that he was about to do a whole accent, and I was like, oh, dude, this English person is going to do this antebellum accent, which is really awful in any way. Every time I see (laughs) someone (laughs) trying to do an accent, it's so over the top and distracting that I can't Mm -hmm. enjoy whatever I'm watching. Walking Dead, for a prime example. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he does a great job, and you do get caught up in being like, oh, he's no longer James Bond.
1: He is this doofy (laughs) investigator. Yeah, and almost... I would say almost everyone in this movie is playing one, and it looks like they're having the time of their lives, which I love, because um, a lot of these actors are cast against type, um, but they're they're almost caricatures, like they're like right on the verge of being a caricature. His accent is definitely over the top, but I love it, and I want I anything just <laughs> I'm so glad there's a sequel. I just want more of the accent. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, it was definitely the last movie I watched in person with a decent-sized group of friends before quarantine and pandemic. And Samantha and I you, we saw it in theaters. Yes. This is one uh, of those movies I kept going over to Annie going, This is good, this is who it
2: is. Oh, that is who it is. It's absolutely this person.
1: Yes. And our friend Caroline was with us, and Caroline stuck around because I I I love doing a good double feature, and we saw the newest Star Wars together, uh Rise of Skywalker. And it was a great day. I remember it fondly. (laughs) (laughs) But, all right, let's talk about this movie. Um, So, Knives Out, it's a 2019 American murder mystery whodunit film written and directed by Ryan Johnson. The ensemble cast includes... Daniel Craig, Anna D'Armas, Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Lakeith Stanfield, Catherine Langford, Christopher Plummer, Jaden Martell, Ricky Lindholm, Kay Callan, Edie Patterson, and Frank Oz. Wow. Um, so a lot of people in it. It was well-reviewed by both critics and audiences, and it's an homage to murder mysteries, everything from Clue to true crime to Agatha Christie to murder she wrote. It's also a modern update on the genre with Twitter, Instagram, Jewel, and arguments about Trump. All this is integrated into it.
2: Yeah, I think they did a good job because it was such huge casting that they were mm-hmm. able to bring in different elements of what was happening today, which seemed mm-hmm. kind of chaotic. Um, yeah. The plot follows the Thromby family after the death of the patriarch Harlan Thrombey, uh Christopher Plummer, mm-hmm. whom I love, um, in his super gothic home in modern-day New England by apparent suicide. And detectives are called in to interview the family and the employees that worked for Harlan about his recent 85th birthday celebration. Inter Benoit Blanc, played by beloved Daniel Craig, a famous private detective who has been hired by a mysterious unknown client to investigate the death of Harlan. Uh, through a series of interviews, we learn more about the Thromby family's dysfunction, issues, and of course, privilege, as well as potential motives for murder since Harlan spent the day before his death cleaning house, quote unquote.
1: Yes, the last person interviewed is Harlan's nurse, friend, and confidant, Marta Cabrera, who cannot lie without throwing up. She tells a lie. She pukes. Yes, you heard that correctly. Um, I actually have a friend who really can't watch vomiting in movies, so she really wants to see this. But she's like, I need to know precisely <laughs> the parts to skip.
2: I, uh, so I think I rewatched it again with uh, my partner, and I had to fast forward it because I was like, nope, nope,
1: nope, nope. <laughs> was well, pretty gnarly, too. It's like got yeah. corn in it. Sorry. Yeah. Uh. Uh. <laughs> um, so, Marta flashes back to the night of the party as they, they're asking her about it. And it's revealed that through a medication mix-up, Marta accidentally gave Harlan a massive fatal overdose. Uh, and the ambulance is going to take too long to arri- arrive to save Harlan's life. Uh, and the life-saving drug naloxone is missing. So Harlan decides to protect Marta and her family. Her mother is an illegal immigrant. uh, And to do this, he decides he's going to slit his own throat, make it look like suicide. Marta protests, uh, but Harlan insists. He tells Marta exactly what to do to rule herself out as a suspect, which Marta does mostly successfully. Um, Marta makes it through the interview without arousing suspicion. So we think. And a reminder, I don't know if you... Did you mention that Harlan was a mystery novelist? No, I didn't. uh, Yeah, he's a very productive, wealthy um, mystery novelist. So this is why he has the perfect plan for her
2: to get away with murder. Yes, exactly. So uh, Blanc requests that Marta accompany him on his investigation because he trusts her kind heart and her insight and also because she can't lie. Yep. Um, and she realizes she leaves a few pieces of evidence behind. Mud, surveillance video, broken trellis, which she attempts to hide to varying success. And I do also love the dog in this movie. Because mm-hmm. it kind of tells on her, essentially. And I feel yeah. like that's what my dog would do as yeah. well. Peaches, I think, I would love, do the
1: same to me. Oh, yeah, Peaches would. <laughs> I love the, like, jump, the the smash focuses on the dog's face as if the dog is, like... For, I don't know, involved or something. I love <laughs> yes, it. They do too. Um, <laughs> all of this. And um, The
2: family all gathers for the reading of the will and the big reveal. Harlan has cut them all out and has left everything, house, money, publishing company, to Marta. Boom, boom, Um And immediately, most of the family completely turns on her, accusing her of having sex with Arlen or of being a bitch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and this is after, I mean, they've multiple times said, you're a part of the family, you're a part of the family, we're going to take care of you, immediately turns. turns on her. I also um, love that they kept saying, we wanted to invite
2: you to the funeral, but, you know, yeah. I was voted out. Each and every yeah. single one of them.
1: Every single one of them said it, and you know that they definitely probably didn't even think of her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like, later, oh, yeah. Oops. Oops. Um, So, Marta is literally kind of being chased out of the house, and she escapes with Ransom, the black sheep grandson played by Chris Evans, and she tells Ransom everything. She tells him the truth. He agrees to help her on the condition that he gets his share of the inheritance. The rest of the family, including Meg, um, Harlan's young feminist granddaughter, resort to various methods to convince Marta to renounce the inheritance. And Meg and Marta were probably the closest in this family outside of Harlan. Um... Marta is blackmailed by a mysterious source. And on her way to meet the blackmailer, there's a car chase, an explosion at the medical lab that was analyzing Harlan's blood. Um, Ransom is arrested, and uh, he's implicated by the story of Harlan's mother, who, yes, is alive. <laughs> um, yeah. And she, some evidence she provided pointed the finger at Ransom. Marta goes to meet the blackmailer only to discover it is the housekeeper, Fran, who has Marta's missing medical bag and Fran has also overdosed. Mm -hmm. And Fran's a big key to this as well. She's kind of the background character you don't think about until she reappears.
2: You're like, oh, hey, there you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do love that Ransom actually tricks her into telling the truth by overfeeding her food that was going to make her sick if she tries to lie. Like,
1: it would be really bad. Yeah, it was a bowl of, like, beans and sausage. It was going to be gross. (laughs) It was going to be real gross.
2: Um, So, unable to let Fran die, Marta calls an ambulance and confesses everything to Blanc. So, she insists she tells the family before she's arrested and the slayer rule, a law that requires anyone involved even accidentally in the murder of someone that left something to them cannot receive that inheritance. So, she would have to return the inheritance to the family. Um, Before she can do this, she realizes that Fran who had the backup blood toxicology, she knew where she put it. So um, she hands it to Blanc after finding it. And just as she's about to confess, Blanc stops her, telling off the family for their awful behavior towards Marta and informs them he is officially ruling the case as suicide and the case is
1: closed. So that is one of my favorite lines in the movie, is so he says the case is closed and he says it so dramatically, the case is closed! And then he like storms out. I love that so much. And I say it in conversation a lot and people look at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, Knives out, come on. <laughs> um, so a very confused Marta uh, and equally confused police detectives listen as Blanc unravels the whole story. This is the like, oh, here come, I'm going to tell you how it all played out right. part of these whodunits. Um, revealing that ransom who he had brought into the room, was behind the whole thing and did intend to murder Harlan and frame Marta uh, after he found out that Harlan was cutting them all out of the will and leaving everything to Marta um, by switching the labels on the medication that she gave him every night. However, because Marta is a good nurse, she naturally switched them back due to the slight differences in weight and viscosity, meaning Harlan was totally fine when he cut his own throat. His blood tox report came back totally normal. Um, Ransom was also behind the explosion at the medical center to get rid of the blood sample, uh, Fran's deadly injection, and the mysterious client. He was, he was the client that contacted Blanc in the first place. Marta lies to him and gets him to confess to Fran's murder. Then she pukes all over his face. It's really gross. Um, and then Ransom tries to kill her with a knife, but turns out the knife is a fake. He can't tell the difference between a real knife and a prop just as Harlan said in the very beginning, and Ransom is arrested. Linda, who's played by Jamie Lee Curtis, realizes her husband is cheating on her, uh, and the family stands outside and watches Marta on the balcony, drinking from a mug that says, my house, as she looks down on them.
2: Right. I think it was, uh, one of my part, favorite parts of that is because at the very beginning scene when Harlan is discovered dead, that mug mm-hmm. is the thing that you concentrate on, that they yeah. focus in on that. But now she has that mug, as well as the fact that the note that is given to Linda, yeah. Her she always talked about how her and her dad had a special way of communicating and no yep. one knew what that was. And the whole reason that uh, Don Johnson's motive for murder was that he was going to tell on him for uh, cheating. Yeah. And then he saw him having a note, and when he Mm -hmm. looked at it, it was blank, so he didn't worry about it. Yeah. Turns out it was invisible ink.
1: Ah, I love it so much. Those are such great payoffs. It's one of the best payoffs I've ever seen of like the mug, the beginning and the end, because you're not expecting it. But then when you see it, you're like, yes, there it (laughs) is. (laughs) There it is. So that's the plot, um, which is kind of it's, I tricky to describe a plot of a murder mystery movie, I've got to say. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of moving pieces. Um, but we do want to talk about some themes. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
0: Can I rant for a sec? Please.
1: Back, thank you, sponsor. So, one of the biggest themes throughout this is immigration and the idea of the American dream, the self-made person. Um, and a good whodunit relies on the audience's prejudices. Um, the fun of of these stories is largely in playing with or against type, and that's how you can keep people guessing um, throughout. So, there's this running joke. In the movie that the family appreciates Marta's hard work, but they can't remember the country she's from. They frequently get it wrong. Nobody says the same country. Um, uh, They always say, yeah, that she's one of the family, that they'll take care of her, even though they didn't invite her to the funeral. Um, You can count on us, Walt says, when he he says they want to take care of her financially, which all completely reverses when she gets the inheritance, when she is the one in power. She even says to Meg, I'm going to take care of you. I'll take care of you. And that's not enough. Um, And I... I've had this discussion with friends before. Do you think they would have taken care of her financially? Well, no.
2: Obviously, when they found out uh, she was getting this inheritance, they threatened to deport them. (laughs) Yeah. They purposely used that. So you've got to understand if they're going to that level, that automatically they see her as a non-person and she would have been forgotten just as she was forgotten during the funeral.
1: Yeah. I think they might have started giving her something, but it would have been like almost really small. And if she... If she did anything they didn't like or they eventually kind of stopped doing it, like what is she gonna do? you know,
2: yeah, and <laughs> honestly just gonna cut her off yeah i don't I don't know who would like if you look at the individual characters, I don't think any of them actually would because yeah. they were all kind of financially dumb in themselves,
1: yeah. So yeah. I
2: don't think they would. Um, and then, of course, we wanted to talk about Knives Out as a feminist movie, not because of the director, obviously, or the writer, but because there's a lot of implications as we talk about female roles uh, in a household. And then we talk about privilege and all of that. So it just kind of like culminates you. well, we could talk about this within this movie and that within this movie. and And a part of that conversation is how she is known as the help. And just kind yeah. of like how you said they couldn't remember what country she is from. This is that connotation of othering. Oh, she's Mm -hmm. not from here. She's a foreigner or whatever. And that's that same level of disproportionate idealism in this whole narrative. Um, And throughout the film, the family and various others refer to Marta as the help. And it's interesting to see that because Fran, who is not a
1: woman of color, is Mm -hmm. known as Fran. Right. And I, I mean, it's one of the very first things they all say about her when they say, oh, Marta, she's from Ecuador. Or, oh, Marta, she's from... like." That that is the thing they say. And then I was also thinking about, I think they do that because they think that makes them look like they're woke or something. Like, see, we're, you know, we're nice to this person from another country. (laughs) Right, right. I don't know. It's a whole
2: thing. And a reminder, she's a nurse. She's not even a part of the staff. She is paid as a professional to come Mm -hmm. and be a caretaker for him. And again, even though Fran is an actual housekeeper, she's an employee of the household, she's still referred as Fran. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, and this is not only a commentary on how we view immigrations and immigrants, women and people doing uh, essential work, but also a way to subvert the classic murder mystery trope, the butler or the maid or the help did it. Um, which again, still makes me laugh because she is not any of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And when Marta walks through the hair salon uh, as
1: if she's invisible, I don't know what you were talking about that one. So remember when she goes um, to pick up the... for the uh, blackmail? She walks into that hair salon and she's not uh, there. Like, she just walks so confidently past them and they don't look at her. Nobody looks at her. Second, like second glance. Right. Um, and she's doing that so Blanc won't know where she went in so she can go out the back entrance and come into the other way. But, right.
2: Which I say, I, I get the commentary, but also Anna de Armas is one of the most beautiful women in the world. And I can't imagine people ignoring her. So I also have a hard time with that mm-hmm. <laughs> because beauty in itself and her being light skin as well. I think it's an advantage. So I don't completely, I'm like, you need a different type of woman, but she's a great actress. She does a great job. But I'm just saying, it's kind of like when you have Scarlett Johansson being pinned as, you know, a, a common, you know, uh, swarthy yeah. girl. And you're like, mm, that's not how that would go. Uh, but also, it turning marginalized folks against each other, Marta and Fran, which actually wasn't the narrative, but
1: that's what you think in the whole yeah. of the movie. Yeah. That's what tra- Ransom is trying to do. Right. Right. But he does not succeed because he doesn't know how to play to make a beautiful pattern. Right. Um, <laughs> meaning that Marta is a nice, good person who's right. not going to let someone die so she can get money as opposed to Ransom. Um, and, yeah, Ransom is an ass to, to both of them. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's not nice to Fran either. I mean, clearly he tried to kill her. Right. Um, <laughs> he did kill her. Oh, no, he didn't kill her. No, he did. Oh, he did kill her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did kill her. She lied. Um, so let's talk about that mug for a second, that my house. Because that that's also something running throughout this is this idea of um, their ancestral home, which I say in heavy quotes. And I definitely read it as a metaphor for the United States. Um, When Ransom goes on his angry, entitled, self-righteous speech about their ancestral home, Blanc laughs aloud uh, right at him, uh, reminding him that Harlan purchased the house in the 80s. All of this is similar to America's history of colonization at large and the selective memory around it. The whole idea of American exceptionalism is wrapped up in there, too, of this, this is our ancestral home and you will never take it. And you're like, but... You got it in the 80s. Right. (laughs) Which is a big commentary as we speak uh, about who has the rights
2: to this country and the lands and such Mm -hmm. as, and the profiting and all of that. So that's really timely, of course. Um, And the stories we tell ourselves, the memory shifting depending on how on who is telling the story. It, it is pretty funny because you have uh, Tony Collette's character talking about how wonderful her relationship was with him and how everything was yeah. perfect and her business is perfect and her child is perfect <laughs> um, uh, and that they are deserving of their wealth because they worked hard, uh, which is not true at all. One's like failing in the business, the other one is she's doing okay. We don't quite know. But it was, yeah. I think she's the only one that actually had some claim. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character only had a little bit of claim of actually putting things together, as opposed yeah. to being handed something. But she did um, get
1: a million dollar loan, right? Which
2: again, her business. <laughs> we've heard many argue that that is not that much, apparently, and you know,
1: oh, it's oh. still scra- scraping oh, at the well, bottom. Uh, please give it my way, then. If it's not no big deal to you, I'll take it. <laughs>
2: Um, uh, and then, of course, the constant—they constantly describe Marta as a hard worker, which, yes, is really passive-aggressive speak of she is lower class. But of course, just because she's a hard worker doesn't mean she deserves their fortune. It's theirs. They—it's their right.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're such hypocrites, of course, because you know they say, "Well, we." built our business from the ground up, or whatever it is, so we deserve this. Right. But when she's a hard worker, as the, in their own words, but when she gets the fortune that they, essentially the same thing, Harlan handed them money, that they totally reverse. Like, right. no, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah, she must have done something dirty to get this money. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I do think that it, the casting of Captain America as the villain was really interesting. Because there is this commentary around uh, America's history. Um, and having him, I don't know, I don't know if they did it on purpose or not. I imagine that they did. But having him be this entitled just ass who thinks he the world owes him something, who's never worked, they say in the movie, he's the only one that's actually never even tried to really work. Um, and just thinks he's deserving of this money and is willing to do these horrible things and think nothing of it. And in fact, kind of be proud of it, of mm-hmm. like, I can do this and get away with it because I have a good lawyer and I have money. Um, and seeing his, his real colors at the end and then get, getting vomited all over. All right. Um. <laughs> but I don't think, I don't think he, he thinks that he deserves it. I think
2: he just wants it. That, that's the mm. difference between him and the rest of the family, which is why they hate each other. They all yeah. put on pretense, and he does not. He's just yeah. like, no, I'm, I'm his grandson. Of course I deserve it. It's the family. I've had to deal with your, the family. That's what... Yeah. It, it's just... It is it, as is. This yeah. is how it's he supposed to it's be. His. Let yeah. me get it. And I don't think... And of course, he's probably worked harder at this than he has at anything else in, in his life. <laughs> but he's, he's willing to go there. But also, yeah. he's willing to mock the fact that he doesn't care about any of the rest of them because mm-hmm. they are too fake. Like, I think, I think he does a little more open face. Mm-hmm. Like, he's definitely manipulative and does all these sneaky things in the background of getting the money. But he's yeah. the one that's the loudest about, like, no, we did. this is not ancestral. He's not, you know, like he's, he's like, you're not a good person. You're not a good person. I know what you did. Like, he laughs yeah. at the face of everybody trying to justify why they should have the money. Mm-hmm. but he and he doesn't justify it. he's just like nah it's mine in the story <laughs> so I think it's the more like stark difference between him and the family in that way one's pretense one doesn't care
1: yeah I mean it is interesting I think that's the whole reason it worked for me that I didn't guess it was him because I did believe he would totally be like yeah I'm taking my my cut and they're not and I was actually kind of surprised that he was determined to get it back for them but whatever um And I was thinking about this. I have been thinking about this for a long time, this iconifying of this type of character, of this jerk. And I feel like Tony Stark is a great example. I know that might make some people mad, but I feel like people like him because he's kind of a jerk. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, he's a good guy. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about Tony Stark. But anyway, I I do feel like we built this character, especially in the United States, that is this dude who's kind of mean and we love him for it like because he's being himself and that kind of translates into our politics now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Maybe we should come back and do a, a whole thing on that. All right.
2: um, and that. speaking of oh. politics,
1: <laughs> yes, the
2: family in itself, as we enter the holidays, uh, I think we can all kind of appreciate uh, the landmines we have when it comes to politics. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that's... Big key in most of our conversations about dreading going home if there's yeah. a political difference, especially. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think one of the biggest things I thought was almost way too perfect was the blonde housewife who has not spoken throughout. But then the one thing she wants to shout out about is about the immigrations and then coming here illegally and taking over the country. Yeah. Which I've had more and more incidents with white women. And I'm like, what? <laughs> And it was almost too perfect to see her lose it. And, of course, it is played by a comedian, and so she delivers mm-hmm. it so perfectly. in oh, yeah. Like, the rage, the faux rage.
1: Yeah, and I love how she, she has that moment. Like, she's worked herself up, and then she immediately kind of folds and then awkwardly walks away. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... It, I'm sure all of us can relate. They're having this fight. And even Don Johnson's character says, you know, I don't like him. He's an asshole. Maybe that's what we needed. Right. So there's a, the thing we were just talking about right, right there. And and like you said earlier, um, as they're conducting these interviews about this party, uh, the 85th birthday party, depending on the character, they remember things differently. Like they remember right. who was by Harlan when the cake was there differently. Right. And... They all have this memory of, like, beckoning Marta over, like, smiling warmly. Uh, she's one of the family. And this is the part where you find out, oh, they were calling her over to ask her about, like, doing it right, immigrating correctly. Right. And using her basically as a prop in their political argument. Which I find is the number one defense in people
2: really like, you know, I have friends, I have uh, friends who are not from this country, and they did it Right. And you right, sit there yep. looking at them like, "What's right?" I don't what. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And then also just try to use her as a prop in general. Uh, yeah. Like handing her a plate as though that's her job. Again, she's a nurse. <laughs> she is a nurse.
1: Oh, and he does it so casually too. Like, "Here's my plate." <laughs> oh gosh, that whole scene. That was the tensest in the movie theater when I was in the small town. A lot of guys.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I bet because I've had this moment.
1: Yep, exactly. Um, something else we wanted to talk about is the dismissal of Nana, great Nana. So she is Harlan's mother, and she is quite old, and she is regularly just dismissed, like completely dismissed, um, even though it turns out she is the key witness, um, or at least one of the key witnesses. Because of that, um, none of the family even offered their condolences to her after her son's death. Um, So she shares what she knows with Blanc, who didn't dismiss what she had to say and was kind to her, sat with her, and it turned out to be very important to him figuring out the whole thing. And in fact, she gives a rather uh, demonic chuckle that I love. When uh, Block is like, Marta's keeping the inheritance, the case is closed. And she kind of laughs. laughs. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. And I think this is one of those moments where you and I
2: talked about women are so so dismissed anyway. But then Mm -hmm. when age comes into play and how little they're regarded, especially in American culture versus other cultures. um, And here, she is definitely a side figure and then dismissed because she is elderly, quote, like, and then the Mm -hmm. idea that she must not be in her right mind. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Um. Jeez, oh, I love her too, <laughs> and I do love that there are several generations of women in this movie. Um, Marta's family—you've got her sister and her mom, who I, I also love them too. Mm. Um, and then within, you've just got all these generations, which is unfortunately still kind of rare. But it was nice to see. Well, we do have some more for you, listeners. But first, we have one more quick break. Forward from our sponsor.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
3: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor.
2: Uh, yeah, and we wanted to talk about, <laughs> which is one of my favorite. I, I love Tony Colette almost in everything. Just to yeah. put that out there, so I'm a huge fan. But her character, uh, who is Joni <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and her whole like self help, I, yes. I love it. And of course, they had to make digs. And whether it's a bad thing or a good thing, whether you believe in it, all of these things. But she does have that uh, flam, the negative flam, uh, which yeah. again reflects Gwyneth Paltrow's goop. And I know yeah. there's a lot of commentary happening about that. And there's also the yes. whole Instagram influencer aspect to her, as well as her, like, very uh, centering and, 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 and like, listening yeah. of the...
1: <laughs> yeah, around yeah, her kind of new agey. Yeah, um, which we're not dinging. No, But no, her no.
2: caricature of it is kind of delightful, especially when she does it as a
1: obvious money-making scheme rather than something yeah. that she actually believes in. Yeah, I mean, she feels very... I mean, it's making fun of the very specific, I think, entitled white lady aspect of this. Of her just kind of brazenly saying these things that you don't think she really believes, but she's trying to make money off of it. Right. Um, And apparently she's not that great at it. That's the other part. No, exactly, because she (laughs) has been stealing from Harlan... $100,000 Uh one hundred thousand dollars a year for four years, so yeah, she's not very good. <laughs> and- I do love the scene where she's like saying that oh they're my family they support me I'm yeah. simultaneously held and supported by them or she's like dancing on Jamie Lee Curtis and Jamie Lee Curtis is like no <laughs> <laughs> not
2: having that." Right, right and I do also love that this whole good feel and we're gonna do these things and, and trying to be I, I'm fine everything's fine we're all lovely family the way she gets her daughter who was the supposed woke girl is mm-hmm. by saying hey our life style is about to go away. The school that you like so much, you're not going to be able to go there. And so because they go into the selfish motivations, Mm -hmm. it was able to take the one ally.
1: Yeah, and I I did want to throw in a line before we move on from Joni's whole self-help thing, is there is a part in the movie where right before the will is read, the entire family thinks that only Ransom has been cut out. And they're all kind of like, oh, this is going to be good for you. Uh, And she says in the most, like, overly sincere voice, nothing good is ever easy. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, like, immediately when she's the one that's looking at not having any money, (laughs) right? never mind, (laughs) those words go out the window. (laughs) But that, I mean, that's a part of the whole thing, too, is they just clearly have been telling themselves that they worked so hard, it wasn't easy for them. Right. But it, it was. It was. <laughs> so we did want to talk about performative activism. Uh, so like you said, Meg, uh, who is Joni's daughter, um, is Marta's one uh, ally in pretty heavy quotes, in this family after Harlan has died. Um, And she's described as the crypto-pseudo-Marxist post-deconstructural feminist by Jamie Lee Curtis's character. Um, And she's always aggressively defending Marta, whether Marta wants her to or not, but also, yeah, turns her back on her under pressure from her family and at the revelation that her schooling and her lifestyle will go away without the inheritance. And again, this is... Uh, we've had a lot of conversations around this, of this idea of performative activism of doing the social media post and kind of nothing else, and that you know that's that's kind of diluting the issue more. It's more that like you're only doing it for one specific reason to look or perform this one way, right? Um, and it's easy to do when you're well off, right? And, and when you're not nothing. being questioned, exactly, exactly. When when there's nothing. That you have to give up, really, to do it. Right, yeah. Um, then on the other side, uh, you have the quote literal Nazi, who's played by Jaden uh, Martell, and I I believe was cast because he looks a lot alike one of the pictures of the Tiki Torch protesters. I think I read that somewhere. Um, but he's he's like the young teenage troll. Um, and some people think that this character is a direct critique on the backlash Ryan Ryan Johnson got from angry trolls after the Last Jedi, the Star Wars movie he directed that uh, fanboys largely hated. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I I bet that's true, but I bet it's also a critique just on this very specific troll internet person in general. Right.
2: I think it also comes to the fact that this large family has a lot of divisiveness within it, and you have all of these very different characters that have to mm-hmm. represent all of what he sees in society. And I think mm-hmm. that's what it is, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is... If you're going to really run with this... This movie is sort of a metaphor for America, then you do have all these aspects of, like, wealth gone wrong, or what it could look like, and... Uh, you see them play out in and, and all these various aspects that we recognize. We, we like, know this. I mean, with the Paltrow, I mean, <laughs> you know, you can make correlations between these characters and things we see in society. And then I did want to talk about, lastly, this whole uh aspect of kindness that's at the heart of this movie, at the donut hole, if you will. Um... I, ha- I heard a lot of people describing this movie as a who done it with kindness at its heart um, and being genuine. Marta says at the very beginning, "I'm not playing to beat you. I'm playing to create a beautiful pattern." When her and Harlan are playing Go, which I'd never heard of, um, yeah. But and that all comes back at the end when Blanc is having his big like reveal, and he says, "You know, you she beat you." by not playing your game, Mm -hmm. uh, outwitting you once again, which I love.
2: I also wonder, because uh, you have to... I I love Christopher Plummer in this movie, and I've seen him in quite a few things, and um, there's a little bit of... I feel like he is trying to correct the mistakes that he made with his children through Mm -hmm. Marta as well. And so Mm -hmm. that's a big question, too, about his kindness. Like, what is the motivation? It's not necessarily just giving. It's definitely reciprocity for his own uh, children. Um, And again, this movie also subverts the traditional whodunit because at the heart of it is this young, sweet girl, Marta the only suspect who is truly a good, kind person, uh, but it also happens to be the apparent murderer. Whoops. So yeah. that we, we, the audience, which happens a lot, spent a good chunk of this movie hoping she doesn't get caught or hoping yeah. for a better revelation
1: at the end for sure yeah oh i mean that was the great part because i think in the first you know 20 minutes you know she did it right and you like, oh. that's the biggest shock of the movie to me that they told you immediately she did it <laughs> yeah and you're like oh no please i don't want her to get caught and that's what made it so different from a lot of other murder mysteries i've seen i don't know that i've ever seen one where i was so actively like please <laughs> don't figure it out <laughs> Um, And I did want to put in here, I found one article that criticized the narrative of the good immigrant in this, but I think it's more of a criticism of that narrative around doing things the right way. Um, Immigrants, they get the job done, which is a line that Don Johnson says in the movie. He says it not to the black detective he's talking to, but to the white detective kind of in the back. And a lot of people have compared that to the get out line. Uh, I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could. (laughs) Um, uh, But uh, yeah, so this like immigrants get the job done, but you don't have to do that. Uh, And then as we've said, this the importance of hard work when you inherited a lot of money and benefit from society's prejudices um, and that, that they believe they've earned from the ground up, they built from the ground up which they haven't, Um, and the American dream at large, as in it's all well and good when it's working or perceived to be working for you, then you succeeded in the American dream. Um, Almost all the family have been cheating the system. They've been stealing or mooching off of Harlan, things that they would flip against. These are the arguments that they would use against immigrants and that we do here against immigrants who are actually not doing that. They're not mooshing and they're not stealing, but these this privileged white family is right, yeah, but I do think more representation always, um because you know, if we had that, I'm not sure we would be having this conversation right now, right um, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, I think there's a whole big conversation too, of uh, the metaphor, the idea that the uh, patriarch um. Is giving away his money to someone who, again, to in their mind, didn't yeah. didn't earn it, right? Um, which is that same claim that that's what uh, assistance and welfare is giving money to people who don't deserve it because they don't want to work for it, which is a whole lot of BS in itself, which Mm -hmm. we know is not true and it's not as beneficial as people want to make it out to be. Um, And with that, it's the weaponizing of empathy. They're always trying to convince her of what Harlan wanted, which we see that today. We see that today in the election and being told repeatedly, Mm -hmm. be kind to Republicans, they're having a hard time. (laughs) But at the same time, we're seeing all of these threats to workers and not being told to be kind to the workers who are Mm -hmm. are trying to make sure things are working in place. Yeah, they do this despite the will and what she knew he wanted, as well as the fact that she didn't ask for it. She didn't want it. She was actually very confused too and more concerned about whether or not she killed the man.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That really stuck out with me when I rewatched this last night. How many times you're like, you know, it's what he would have wanted, but he wrote down what he wanted Why? Right. in the will, right? <laughs> um, and just trying to really prey on her empathy, exactly. Yeah, and I did. I went into a whole uh, messy soliloquy is not the right word, but I, I was writing about the American Dream last night, and I deleted it from the outline. But I was trying to work out my my thoughts on just how it can be turned against people. And we've, we've talked about that briefly in other episodes and just how there's such this, this story and this, a lot of people really believe it that if I work hard enough, mm-hmm. I will get there. But we know that that's not always true. There's all these obstacles and system, systems in place that really systemically hold people back. Right. Um, you can work so hard and barely be making it, barely right. be able to survive. In this country, so uh, I deleted it because it was a bit as a bit of a mess. But uh, <laughs> I <laughs> <perhaps> mean, <return.
2: laughs> when you go that that deep in the idea of the American dream, you can't mm-hmm. do it in two sentences. A, yes. B. I think there's a lot to be said that the American dream has changed over the course of time, and therefore, the American dream is not a dream. But several concepts that have fallen apart and the giant be remade. So there's mm-hmm. a lot to be said um, about that in itself. And also, especially when we look at who is the one that's saying that they deserve this, yeah. who is the one that can actually have the claim of, well, you deserve it and you don't. And that's mm-hmm. a whole conversation in itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think what I was trying to get to the bottom of in my own mind is just how it has been also weaponized. Mm-hmm. Um, in a very particular way to make people feel guilty that they're not succeeding, even though they're working so hard. Anyway, I remember when you first suggested this, Samantha, I was like, I don't know we'll have enough to say about Knives Out when it comes to feminism, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) I told you, they're such good characters. I don't think we uh, dug into all of them.
2: But no, we, we definitely didn't. went in and out as much as we could. But if you look at the individual characters, I think they were written really well, played out really well. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the second one as well, which I can't oh. imagine how that's going to go. So.
1: Me neither. That's a lot to live up to. <laughs> um, but yes, that brings us to the end of this very special feminist movie, Wednesday. Oh. Um, we would love to know what you're streaming, what your suggestions are for our next our next feminist movie Friday or Wednesday. We'll see how it all plays out. <laughs> <laughs> and you can send those suggestions to Stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Oh, thanks. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff On Never Told You's production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.